It's every election ever. And beer. Welcome back. Hey, how are you? The good professor <laughs> is with us again. Eddie Zipper, how are you? Good to be here. I'm doing great. How are you guys? I'm doing very well. Mr. Matt Webb. Yes. How are you? I'm good. It's a good week. It's been a good weekend. It's been a great weekend. Yeah. And we're gonna we're gonna cap off the weekend in the best way po- possible. We're talking dead presidents and good beer. Tonight. Little beers. History yeah. and beer. History and beer. What's better? So uh Eddie, you want to start with your drinking, baby? I have a creature comforts cocoa boonie milk porter. It's brewed with lactose, which makes it really Yum. thick porter. Gross. <laughs> the connection here to this election is that there is no connection whatsoever. I like this it. This is the kind of br- uh, beer that I have in my refrigerator right now. And so that's what I'm drinking tonight. You, you are selecting like Scott typically does. Yeah, typically so I like it's, it. What is the wife not drunk yet? I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, what you drinking? What what flavor of orange juice you get you drinking tonight? And that's funny. It's hilarious. Um, yeah. I'm still laughing at that, by the way. Uh, this is So this is a California beer. I actually did the homework. Uh, and it is a Lagunitas daytime IPA at night. I haven't cracked it open yet. I'm about to do that. Oh, did you? Yeah. I like doing that for the show. Uh, cracky, baby. Okay, Sounds I'm authentic. drinking Fanatic Tennessee Red, bottled in the great state, uh, city of Knoxville, Tennessee. And it's actually not bad at all. Damn, this beer is good, too, by the way. And I never, you, you would have never heard me, heard, <laughs> heard me say that. We have made so much progress. <laughs> Eddie Zipper, the good professor, we have made so much progress for the beer drinking world. We have had a total woman in, <laughs> in Matt Webb. Yeah. He's now a beer drinker, man. I went from Caitlyn Jenner to Bruce Jenner. <laughs> <laughs> the reverse. The reverse. <laughs> okay. Our little guy is all grows up. <laughs> Let's talk presidents or whatever Eddie wants to talk about. He, he runs the show. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's talk about the election of 1852, and we're going to have to lead up to it. Okay. You remember what happened last time. Sky, you don't remember. You weren't here. No, no. I was in Jamaica. No, you died on That's the Oregon right. Trail. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you did. You did. Snake biter dysentery. He's not on Twitter. He's no. not on Twitter, so he doesn't even know about the Oregon Trail. That's true. And also, when Scott misses an episode, he doesn't go back and listen to it. So <laughs> <laughs> That's so accurate. <laughs> That would hurt my feelings so bad if it weren't so true. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so last time Zachary Taylor became president of the United States, ran as a Whig. He was a general and a war hero. And the Whigs, you're going to see in this episode that the Whigs are going to continue on in this tradition. It's become the thing that the Whigs do, right? They... Pick a general. They play up what a war hero was. What a war hero he was. They try to say nothing about his politics whatsoever, if they even know anything about his politics, which they often don't. And then they try to create a bunch of hype that makes its way into pop culture, and they're gonna do that again this time. This election after Zachary Taylor, they're gonna do it again. Yes, in 1852, the Whigs are going to try it one last time. This is going to be our last election 
with a Whig Party candidate. This is going to be the end of the Whig Party. Got it. What is, what is up with the Whig former generals that, that make them die in office once they're elected? Right? There's four Whig presidents. Two of them died in office. Yeah. Two of them failed to get their own party's nomination for re-election. And so you have four Whig presidents in he- history, and not one of them runs for re-election. It's crazy. I was I was looking a little bit at that today, and, like, we have so many presidents in such a short time span in this period. Uh, it, it's got to yeah. be more than any other period of, of time of the presidency. Between Andrew Johnson, uh, who becomes president in, like, 1865, up until Theodore Roosevelt, who becomes president in 1905. One, I believe, there's going to be a crazy number of presidents in that time period. Gotcha. Something to look forward to. So what we have here, Zachary Taylor ends up dying, and Millard Fillmore, not to be confused with Mallard Fillmore. (laughs) Love that. I was going to ask the same. You stole my joke. Eddie hadn't heard of Mallard Fillmore (laughs) until last episode. No No, kidding. The comic strip, yeah. he A really bad comic. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, Matt told me about it, and I was, I, I was not in the know. Yeah, it's okay. We Scott and I read comics. You read history books. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch! But it's very true. Yeah. All right. So Millard Fillmore becomes president, and the thing that Millard Fillmore does is he signs into law the Compromise of eighteen fifty, and the Compromise of eighteen fifty is one of several steps on the path to civil war. So from now until the election of 1860, everything that we talk about is going to revolve more and more around slavery and it's going to it's going to just be precursor after precursor to the civil war. Everything in this whole decade is that happens in politics is a buildup to the Civil War. So the Compromise of 1850, and we don't know if this compromise would have happened if Zachary Taylor had remained president, but Millard Fillmore became president, and we got this compromise. And what's going on is uh, we have this huge dispute over the brand new territories that have just come into the Union because of the Mexican-American War, also the purchase of the Oregon Territory and all right. of that. Now we have California, we have the New Mexico Territory. The whole continental United States now is part of the United States, and a third of it is coming all at once. Under Polk, right? Yeah, under Polk yep. with, with an L. That was cut from the last show. <laughs> Listen, I have to crack in here. He messes up one time in such an epic way, which America will never know about except for the three boobs in the room here. <laughs> and he gets it right this this next podcast and acts like he's some freaking historian. Oh, under the Polk administration, right? Okay, for, for everybody out there in podcast land, Matt had one of the biggest flubs in the history. And I almost drove to his house and ripped the degrees from his bedroom w- wall. 
James K. Polk. <laughs> Ship them back to the the disrespected universities they acquired them from with a with an apology letter. It's not even worth explaining what happened. It's not even worth. Bull. It's not even worth the it time. It was fantastic. <laughs> and as every person with a bachelor's of arts degree, we deserve that to be caught on tape forever. <laughs> It's out there. It'll be there for our Patreon folks. <laughs> they can pay me money to listen to my stupidity. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm and it was fantastic. Perfectly too. willing to do that. The only flub I didn't cut out was wow. Scott's. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, <laughs> where were we, by the know. way? <laughs> All right. So y'all remember the Missouri Compromise when Monroe was president. Musketball Monroe, as we call him on the show. Uh, and it said it broke up the Louisiana Territory. It said, okay, everything south of the 36th parallel can be slave territory, but nothing north of it can ever be slave territory. You remember that? Yes. Right. Okay, well, now we have all these new territories, and so there's this argument Oh, oh, yeah, the Missouri Compromise, that just means over the 36th parallel in the Louisiana Territory. That can't possibly apply to new territories. Oh, so the new stuff that came in, New Mexico and Oregon and Washington, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, spe- specifically the parts that are above the 36th <laughs> parallel. That's why right, I named yeah. the last two. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're like Canada, in Montana, those were way north. I realized after my first one, I better name some northern yeah. stuff. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> That's crazy. Northern, northern California. There. I'm tab dancing all around tonight. So we get all this new land, and it causes the same problem that it caused when we got the Louisiana Territory, which is everybody's going to fight over slavery. The South. Yeah. Their economy relies on slavery, so they are crazy paranoid about all this anti-slavery sentiment coming out of the North. And so they're eager to compromise, but they want the North to get nothing, and they feel like they're in the right, so the North should get nothing. Gotcha. Uh, so, So here's what the North gets out of the compromise. California is admitted to the Union as a free state. Uh, the slave trade is prohibited in Washington, D.C., and Texas does not get to have their boundary stretched through the New Mexico Territory, which they were arguing that it did. Then over on the other side, no slavery restrictions are going to be allowed in Utah or the New Mexico Territories, New Mexico being below the 36th parallel. Ah, uh, uh, okay, thank you. <laughs> You guys suck. <laughs> you will be allowed to have slaves in Washington, D.C. You will be permitted to have slaves but no slave trade. Oh, wow. If that's if that's not some fine print, I don't know what is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's the compromise. It's like my trip to, to um, Jamaica about 10, 15 years ago. You can have weed. You just can't smoke it in public. What sort of law is that? <laughs> what sort of stupid law is that? I, I wrote a letter to the government. I don't think I ever read. On rolling paper. <laughs> yeah. I, can write I wrote small. a letter to the government, and then I smoked it. <laughs> Maybe that's why I never got read. <laughs> All right, so Texas gets their state debt erased. It's $10 million, add it to the U.S. debt, and wipe out Texas's debt. 
so what was what did that do to to the the debt of the United States? I'm, I was kind of curious because I know for a long time the United States was debt free, right? Yeah, we're good at um, sort of building it up and then paying it off at this point. So it gets built up and then it gets paid off. Obviously now it gets built up and <laughs> it does not get paid off ever. Uh, and the last thing that the South gets is the fugitive slave law. The fugitive slave law is going to be a very big deal leading up to the Civil War. The fugitive slave law says that if a slave escapes into a free territory or uh, a free state, then it is incumbent upon them to send the slave back to their finger quotes owner. Nine times out of ten, they never made it home. And, I'm assuming, and right? that might, that had to make folks in the North crazy that that we would compromise that way. I would think. Yeah, but you know what's weird is there's actually a fugitive slave law written into the Constitution. Really? Yeah, it's really it's really a strange little thing. Obviously, it's been undone by the Thirteenth Amendment, which ends slavery entirely. Yeah. Whenever the Constitution talks about slavery, they use euphemisms for slavery. They don't say slavery. So if you're just reading the Constitution and you're not thinking about it, like, you can totally miss the references to slavery. Here's what the Constitution uh, says is Article 4, Section 2 says, No person held to service or labor in one state under the laws thereof escaping into another shall in consequence of any law or regulation therein be discharged from such service or labor but shall be delivered upon claim of the party to whom such service or labor may be due wow that's crystal clear to me <clears throat> bachelor of arts degree here <laughs> so, wow <laughs> what that says if you have your decoder ring out it says Fugitive slaves have to be sent back to their owners if they escape into free territory. Got it. And so now we have the new fugitive slave law, and it is particularly draconian. And we're not going to talk that much about it now, but in future episodes, especially when we get to the Dred Scott case, uh, we're going to talk a lot about it. Dear God. I just taste the most foul-tasting beer I've ever put in my mouth. Time out. <laughs> Time out. I just switched Just, Just killed this fanatic uh, Tennessee Red, which was very good, by the way. Yeah. Very, very good. Right. And it's probably because my palate, I'm going to drink the whole thing, but I switched to Highland Brewing's Thunderstruck Coffee Porter. Sweet Jesus, this is bad stuff. <laughs> wow, it sounds good. Mm. Yeah. You'll have to try one, Eddie. When we do our Asheville tour, we're clearly not going to Highland. Holy smokes. <laughs> we're not welcome. It's a seasonal. Yeah. yeah. We're doing anti-commercials for them. Yeah. Well, let me take one more drink to make sure I was right. Yeah. Yeah, I was right. <laughs> All right. So we get the Compromise of 1850. And then when we get up to the election of 1852, the Compromise of 1850 is the main most important thing that everybody in the country is interested in. And both the Whig candidate 
and the Democratic candidate both support the Compromise of 1850. And this gives you kind of a window into how the political parties that exist at this time are not built for the next 10 years because the biggest issue in the country is slavery and both parties are, you know, there's not an anti-slavery party. There's not a let's stop slavery from expanding. Yeah, there's no, there was no, there was no platform to the, to the contrary. So both sides were really out of position to, 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 to campaign for it, right? Or against it or on it. Right. You have Whigs that are pro-slavery in the South. You have Whigs that are anti-slavery in the North. You have Democrats that are pro-slavery in the North. I mean, pro-slavery in the South and anti-slavery in the North. So these parties are not built for this. The parties are built so that you can get support from the South and the North and actually win elections. And slavery is just too big of an issue to, to let that happen anymore. Yeah, it's just simply not sustainable anymore. Right. And remember, we have a third party, which is the Free Soil Party, and it's still operating, although it doesn't do as well in the election of 1852 because it doesn't have uh, Van Buren at the top of the ticket for them anymore, which having a former president at the top of the ticket is a very big deal. Yeah. All right, we're also going to very soon start to have a, another party, the Know Nothings. That sounds like a an accurate description of most politicians. <laughs> Maybe a party I would be the head of. <laughs> yeah. The Know Nothings are an anti-immigrant, anti-Catholic party. Oh, really? Ouch. Retracted. Yeah. <laughs> ouch. Oh my gosh. Precursor of nope. the Nazi party. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. I think it's actually called the American Party, but you have within the American Party, you have sort of two groups, the know-nothings and the know-somethings. And the know-nothings are ones who won't talk about what goes It's like a secret party, and so they won't talk about it if they're know-nothings. But the know-somethings are more open about what's going on. I think that that's going to become... Uh, more noteworthy in 56, though, than here in 52. But, yeah, the know-nothings are all about uh, being anti-immigration and nobody being allowed to drink, which is actually why they're anti-immigration, because most of the immigrants uh, coming over that time are the Europeans who are bringing beer it, beer recipes into the United States, and there's, like, this boom in um All kinds of new beers and new breweries popping up in the United States as these immigrants come over, especially from Germany. Yeah. They bring their their delicious poison with them. If they were elected, we would have never been able to have this podcast. Maybe. Uh, if, yeah. if, Maybe. If, if they were elected, this podcast would have been in secret. Oh, there you go. It would have been, yeah. This would have been yeah, from yeah, a yeah, secret or, bunker instead of your, your mom's basement. <laughs> or, yeah, or it would be called... It would be called every election ever and T. <laughs> every election ever in Kool Aid. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. What What are you guys drinking today? Oh, I've got the Purple Saurus Rex. I have an Ecto Cooler. <laughs> Eddie knows a lot of Kool Aid flavors <laughs> from the eighties. So do I, by the way. <laughs> okay, so we get 
two candidates. We get another Whig general. This time it's Winifield Scott, who really is uh, a big war hero. They're going to try to um, put him into pop culture, do the 1840 William Henry Harrison, uh, you know, where everybody loves him, even though they don't really know anything about his politics or anything about him. But he just becomes this pop culture force. Is not going to work for Winifield Scott the way that it did for William Henry Harrison and Zachary Taylor. You know, I don't know if I mentioned in the last episode what Zachary Taylor's nickname was. Do y'all know? I don't think you did mention that. He was called Old Rough and Ready. Oh, I've I've heard that. Now that you say that, yep. Did they did they throw those those nickname ideas past a twelve year old before they went ahead and gave the nickname? You don't like old rough and ready? I think that's a pretty good one. I, I think rough and ready is a a classic example of when you have too many beers with your friends and you start passing out nicknames. Oh, mad props! He's a great general, very rough but quite ready. Yes, as opposed to soft and not. Right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> So that's who we end up. We we end up with Winifield Scott, and his nick nickname is Old Fluff and Feathers. Oh, sweet Jesus! That's kind of the opposite. The, these nicknames are awesomely bad. Well, this one is meant to be derisive. This one is meant to be an epithet. It sounds that way. Yeah, yeah. He was apparently this wildly pretentious. Yeah, yeah, pretentious. That's the word I was looking for. He was apparently this real puffed-up, pretentious kind so of guy. His, his nickname now would be Douchebag. This is literally going to be a 10-minute episode. <laughs> I know, with, with 42 minutes cut out. Just read, Eddie. Read fast. <laughs> uh, on the Democrat side, they choose a guy named Franklin Pierce. I've heard of that guy. You've heard of him? Yeah, he's a president, wasn't he? He was a president. Yeah, he wins. You don't remember any president, President Fluff and Feathers, right? No, do not. The big campaign slogan for Pierce by the Democrats, we know on this show that the word polk sounds a lot like the word... <laughs> poke. Poke. <laughs> yes. So yes. one of the really popular campaign slogans for Democrats was, we poked them in 44, we'll pierce them in 52. Oh, my God. I was How a offensive man, is that? I was a man ahead of my time. Yes, you were. <laughs> <laughs> now, Pierce is uh, something of a drinking man. He's also uh, a hero of the Mexican uh uh, Mexican-American War, also a general, but he was a brigadier general, uh, so he was B.G. Pierce. Franklin Pierce has a bit of a drinking problem. Uh, it is going to—they called him the hero <laughs> the hero of many a well-fought bottle. Oh, Ooh. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, that one's pretty clever. The hero of many a well-fought bottle. Uh, he was widely ridiculed for having fallen off his horse once during a battle, which is a real thing that happened. His horse hit rocks, 
and he fell off. Was he trick riding? No, it wasn't like was anything <laughs> like that. It was like right. maybe if I get if I get if I swoop down under the horse and fire my shotgun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I can he was u- doing. Just I like, can use my my horse as a horse shield. I think Wyatt Earp does that in Tombstone. Yes, he does. <laughs> Pierce ends up winning this election against the Whig candidate Winifield Scott, old fuss and feathers. Uh, it's a story as old as time. Very rarely is anybody going to vote for the fuss and feathers guy. Because of his nickname? No, 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 no. I mean, like, the guy in general who's all about fluff and feathers. Oh, I got fuss you. Fuss and feathers. I got you. Did I say fluff and feathers? It's fuss. Old fuss, fuss and feathers. Nobody likes presidential candidates who think that they're world smarter than everybody else. Nobody likes presidential candidates who think that that everyone wants to be lectured to. You know, nobody wants to elect a professor to be president of the United States. They want to elect somebody that they see as more of a normal person. I mean, it's the old who would you rather have a beer with test. Thank you. Very strong point from me. But I will tell you this. If you fast forward into modern times, aren't, haven't we dealt with this before in the past couple of presidential elections? If you go back to '04, to has there ever been a more pretentious a presidential candidate for who he is in John Kerry. I mean, just the way he he just he just approves of himself in front of people. This really looks down and almost <laughs> almost talks talk like this. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't talk like that, but he's got that very the cadence in his voice is just it's grating. Yeah. You know, yeah, I could see that. Anybody who comes off as sanctimonious or self righteous, people don't like that. More often than not. The the more regular guy is always going to be the guy who is full of fuss and feathers. Yes. So we have the free soil party again. Like I said, they don't do as good this time because they don't have Martin Van Buren heading the ticket. So Franklin Pierce absolutely annihilates Winfield Scott in this election. It's 254 electoral votes to 42. Youch. Yeah, that makes this the most lopsided election in a long time. How do how do people know about Winfield Scott's personality and the fact that he's fussing feathers? I mean, how does that get out to the the voting public? Well, I mean You know how it's been working ever since Jackson, which is that the newspapers are all party papers. Right, right. And they compete to uh, tear down the other candidate, and sometimes one candidate wins that battle, and sometimes a candidate loses that battle. Winifield Scott lost the battle. You know, I mean, it's just like today. That's what— we do to people, we characterize them, and then, you know, if people buy into the characterization from the media, then that's who that person becomes. Yes. I yeah. think the media is the same now as it was then, which is mostly all of the media has some political agenda behind it. But right. I think the big difference is 
this was before the political parties sold the voters on the idea that they are part of a political party. Ah. You know what I mean? Like I do see what you're I saying. Mean, and that the is the average different. person yeah, the average person now might say, I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat, but really political parties aren't ideological and so yeah. there's no reason unless you're running for office or unless you're a part of this if there's no reason to be a republican or a democrat it's actually the opposite of what you want to do what you want is for the parties to compete over you yeah so every election's a new slate basically to say i'm i'm an open free agent i'm going to decide That's who to a vote great for point yeah yeah. Exactly. And then and back then they really had to go after everybody, because if you think of it in today's terms, it's like almost everybody is an independent. Yeah, and they're going to go vote based on personality and maybe some issue that affects them. But really nothing from the national government affects the average person that much yet. Yeah. Mm hmm. But we're starting to get into the era where it does with uh, the slavery stuff, the uh, uh, Compromise of 1850 type stuff. We're we're on our way to that. So this is the biggest defeat in a while. Yeah, I mean, this is the end of the Whig Party. So it was so humiliating to a group of people. They just got together and they were like, we shouldn't do this again, like ever. Well, there's going to be a realignment between now and in 1856 that will bring in a new party which will be the republican party you know fast forward to, to modern times eddie how close are we getting to another political realignment in modern times uh i think we just had one in 2016 and that's um you know a sort of alignment between uh the southern states and middle america and that aligned with all of these Rust Belt Democrats who would have been who probably voted for Bill Clinton yeah. in the 1990s. Yeah. Maybe as far up, they probably voted for Obama in 2008. And now they've gone and voted for Donald Trump. So you win back those Rust Belt states for the Republicans, and that's a realignment. Republicans started to win back the working class, which the Democrats were always a party of the working class, right? So that's what they're fighting for yes. now is to not be the elitist party anymore. And and that's how they're kind of coming off, the party of, of D.C. and New York and, and L.A. that kind of makes fun of the working class and, yes. the, and the intelligent right. voter. The which was their and feathers party. Right, right. And that's not a good place to be, like you said. All right, so Franklin Pierce is elected president. And he has just a real, real fundamentalist wife. She despises politics. That's always good. So she spends the entire election praying that he will lose. So like Melania. Basically. Oh, yeah. It's hard to say. <laughs> this is literal. She literally is saying prayers that he will lose the election. They lost their son... When he was, well, they lost one son when he was a representative, I believe, in the House. And then they lost their second son when he was a senator. That kid was four years old. He died from, like, 
uh, typhoid or something, and she believes that it is a punishment for being involved with politics. Oh, that had to be a really comfortable marriage. So she, she was into voodoo, apparently. So he retired from the Senate, presumably because of his wife's belief that he's killing their children by being in politics. I feel really bad for him because that is that is like so wildly unfair. Yeah. So he gets elected president. A month later, him and his wife and his last surviving son, Benjamin, are on a train. They go to Boston. They're coming back on the train from Boston. The coupler between the cars breaks, so several of the train cars veer off the tracks and crash. One person is killed. It is Benjamin Pierce. Wow. Are you kidding? That's nuts. Right after he gets elected president, his last son ends up being killed in this train accident. It sounds like Mrs. Pierce was on to something. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. I mean, it it sounds like somebody was not supposed to be in politics. In fact, uh, just kind of perusing the Internet here while Eddie talks to sound smart, Pierce was out of government for a while. I mean, he was I guess he was involved in party politics as a leader and that sort of thing, but he he resigned from the Senate and it was a while before he was president. Yeah, and he told his wife that they drafted him into he couldn't say no because it, it just totally to his surprise they came along and forced him to be the nominee, but really he was soliciting to his friends to make him the nominee, which she later found out. Uh, we all have wives, we know how that works. Yeah. They're they're begging no me. Comment. No they're comment. begging me to be on the bowling team. Yeah, the I cannot. Team. I cannot say no. They need a third. It's impossible <laughs> to say no. <laughs> nice try, but my wife is on my bowling team. The turkeys need me. Yeah. <laughs> it's the turkey hunters. Turkeys. <laughs> that was the Whoa. best part of that episode. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I want everyone to be clear here. That was not me. <laughs> the most was feared Scott. sound in bowling. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so Pierce is totally, totally devastated. I'm sure that his wife has him convinced that he is has killed his son, that he's basically murdered him by becoming president. Yeah. His wife is going to spend his presidency writing, shut in a room, writing letters to their dead son. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Oh, yeah, real, real uh, dark. It's macabre. The For White sure. House parties were not near <laughs> as fun during the, the Pierce no presidency. No kidding. Yeah. Dolly Madison, not in charge she of those parties. Dolly Madison. Pierce just drinks his presidency away. I wow. mean, he is, he's going to be a total alcoholic for the rest of his life after this. Like, it gets really bad. We just threw a damp rag on our, you know, our yeah. every election ever in beer. <laughs> Next time on Every Election Ever and Beer. Every election oh, and reasonable man. drinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> responsibly. No win. Yeah. You do have to drink responsibly. That is a true Absolutely. Story. Absolutely. 
All right, next episode, 1856. We're going to talk about, we're going to say goodbye to the Whig Party. We're going to welcome a brand new party to compete with the Democrats, the GOP, the Republicans. So this was their first election, but he was not, their candidate obviously didn't get elected the first time they ran or the first time they were a party. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. That is correct. The Republican is going to lose. To to the worst president of all time, in Eddie's opinion. Yes. It's not just my opinion. It's a common, common, common opinion. opinion that Bu- Buchanan. James Buchanan oh. is the worst of all the presidents. And not just because he, he helped the Civil War come to pass, but obviously for other reasons. So that didn't help his cause. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When you when your term is over and you've lost reelection and half the country quits the country because you know because of your opponent being elected president yeah. you didn't do a good job and Lincoln became president they were like we're out of here wow yeah that's going to be a good election that may be a two-beer election. I already election. have a beer ready. Yeah. I already have a beer ready for that one. What else do we have to talk about in this election? Is this pretty much it? That's it. Okay. I, I don't have that much on this election. No, no, no. That's okay. Um, it's there's not a, a very interesting one. There's a lot of filler in this election, for yes, sure. there this is. episode. Plenty <laughs> to choose from. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Tell everybody how well they can get a hold of us here. Well, they can find us lots of places, but go to Twitter. We're at Election and Beer, and go to Facebook. We're Election and Beer there, too. And then follow us, obviously, on your favorite podcast app or our website, um, and, and download an episode. Download three episodes at once and listen to all of them in the car. That's that's the way we like to roll. And then tell somebody about us. Listen, guys, you've got to understand, you don't know enough good history about presidential elections. We're doing this for free. Download as many as you can. If nothing else, you can laugh at us. Yeah. Really good stuff. This was 1852. Next is 1856. It's going to be a good one. But until next time, this is every election ever in beer. 